0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me, as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., what's going on?
1: Not much. I'm just happy that you're back recording with me this week, uh, so we get to keep this going, even though you um, officially retired. Uh and had a had a little retirement party, from what I hear. Yes. On uh, you over disappeared the
0: weekend. <laughs> to like do stuff I was, work. I was working, etc. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying you didn't have a good reason for disappearing, you did, but you disappeared.
1: <laughs> just got to call you out on that, just for fun. That's fine.
0: that's that, <laughs> that, that, that's fine. I I'm, I'm retired now, so you can give me all the all all the stick you <laughs> want. Um. Uh yeah, so I, I am retired. Uh, I'm look I'm really looking forward, really looking forward. Uh, in fact, we have a question about this, so I'm just gonna bring it in right now. Uh, Nathan wants to know, am I planning to take up a hobby in retirement? Maybe knitting. He he, Nathan suggests. Um, I'm not much of a knitter. Uh, I can't imagine I would be good at it. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, yes, and that is being a Timbers fan. Uh, I'm really looking forward to to going to the game. I was just thinking about this today. Uh, you know, looking forward to the game on Saturday, and I'm like, man, I cannot wait for that. I am uh, as excited for that game as I can remember being for a game in quite some time. And so uh, that is my immediate hobby, uh, and 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 you know, among other things like having a dog and working and 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 and, and, and you know, like uh, getting married at the end of the year, you know, in the fall and all that stuff. Um, yeah, no, uh, that, that will be my, my first hobby being a, a, a Timbers fan. So yes, that, that'll be what, what I'm doing. Uh, I am, I am retired, but I'm going to be here for a couple more weeks uh, or so as we sort of uh, work through the transition. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead and say, I, I think there may be news on that soon. Uh, I, I don't think we have any, any news on it yet, but I'm, I'm hopeful there will be news on that soon. Um, so yeah, uh, and, and I'm not just hopeful, like selfishly, because I want to be lazy, <laughs> although that's a little bit of it. Um, so yeah, uh, that's just, you know, a little, a little kind of a, a Merritt Paulson style teaser, uh, there, if you will. And that's all you're going to be able to get out of me or Jamie about it. Isn't that right, Jamie?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, at least out of me. Uh, you're the retired, uh, slacker right now. I don't know. I don't know what people can get out of you.
0: Are, are you saying retired slackers are prone to... Uh, leaking uh, non-final sensitive information.
1: Well, I mean, you do drink beer now when you go to the games, right? So, well, no, yes. starting next week.
0: <laughs> starting next week. Yes. Uh, so we
1: so we better try to sort this out <laughs> before yes, that. Yeah,
0: you better get this figured out before the game next week. Otherwise, that secret is gonna be out. Loose lips sink ships. And this ship is going down in about six days, um, <laughs> like less than six days, actually they're like five days or four days, depending on how you count. We're recording on Tuesday. Uh, if you want to count the days for yourself, uh, you may be listening to this on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday uh, or, you know, any other day of the week because it is on the internet and, and exists in perpetuity. Um, and yeah, we'll, let's talk first about the, the Timbers game in the week that was before we get to the Timbers game in the week that will be. In uh, the Timbers game in the week that was is kind of a significant one. It was the 100th meeting, arguably. People have opinions about this, uh, but it was the 100th meeting ish uh, between the Timbers and the Sounders and the Timbers won it by a score of one to zero. Uh, our predictions not super great? You like like you know, getting a couple points or something like that. But our predictions were were of a Timbers win to be sure, but a sort of a a much higher scoring ordeal. We both thought there would be five goals in the game. There were not even close to five goals in the game. I thought it was going to be 4-1 Timbers with a Fernando Adi brace. You thought it was going to be 3-2 for the Timbers uh, with a Diego Chara goal. Uh, We we get the win for sure. Uh, You got the margin as well, uh, but definitely not the You know, scoreline, Jamie Goldberg, you're going to give out the points today. Uh, What what do you what do you think you deserve for that?
1: I will. We both got the win, um, which wasn't that high of difficulty, but I, I will give you five points for the win and I'll give myself. Seven points for being better at slightly getting the win. Yeah, the, the close game. nature uh,
0: <laughs> of the win, uh, I, I, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's about right. Uh, that seems perfectly fair. Um, yeah, so I would guess of the 100 games the Timbers and Sounders have played, that was somewhere between the 95th and 100th most interesting game <laughs> that they've played. Uh, it was really, really boring for like 87 minutes. Um you know, I mean, there were things that happened, of course, and there were things to discuss, and and we've discussed them since the game. Richard Farley uh, at the Timbers site discussed them, uh, as as we're going to note later. Uh, our good friend CI Demand uh, at Stumptown Footy discussed them. So there were things to discuss. Let's not act like the you know it was just nothing happening for eighty seven minutes. But there was close to nothing happening for eighty seven minutes before the Timbers finally broke broke through. Uh, by way of a Sebastian Blanco goal assisted by Samuel Armenteros. But let's talk about the boringness first. Do you think that that is something that should be unnerving to Timbers fans? Or or should they sort of be okay and embrace the boring uh, because the team nonetheless very convincingly uh, kept the clean sheet but also came away uh, ultimately with the win? Should they be okay with the boringness in light of that? Uh, Or is this, you know, cause for a, a little bit of concern?
1: No, I I think that the the win the win is reason uh, to be encouraged by by the performance, even if it was a, a bit boring. I think you have to look to some degree at how Seattle approached the game. I, I mean, they came in, they bunker, they used a low block, they focused completely on defending, uh, put very little effort in, into trying to hurt the Timbers in the attack, and I, I think that uh, game plan was always going to create a more a boring match um, from the get-go. So I, I think Seattle's game plan definitely had a part of this. I, I think what we've seen in recent weeks are the Timbers have been able to adapt to other teams and they've been able to find ways of, of getting these wins um, as they've gone on this streak, by by kind of adapting to what the other team gives them and, and writing up a game plan based on that. I, I don't think the Timbers were perfect in this game. I don't think it was their best performance. I they definitely had trouble uh, trying to hurt Seattle centrally. The, the crosses weren't uh, creating many dangerous opportunities too, but they found a way to get more, uh, a few more opportunities in the second half and ultimately get the Blanco opportunity that led to the goal. Uh, so even though it was a boring game, uh, like you said, for 80 or so minutes, the Tippers found a way to break through Seattle back line and get the result they needed and so I I think overall this is an encouraging performance and I don't think every game is going to be quite this boring Uh, but if the Timbers are winning I I think fans should be happy about that
0: that's interesting you use the word encouraging to describe the performance and that made me think if I would also describe it as encouraging (laughs) and you know I I think there are definitely things that are that are praiseworthy about the way the Timbers approach the game I, I I think they were frankly a lot more patient and and a lot more determined than most teams under similar circumstances to really try to get something going centrally to to really try to find uh those combinations to try to find where they were going to be able to get space uh in the middle of the field without just sort of bailing out wide and and and, and thumping crosses into the box so i i mean i i really do think that's that, that's something that is really creditworthy about the way the timbers went went about the game and they did they you know they they started to find more of those as that second half went along you had uh the the combination that that Valeri created uh and then almost finished uh with Fenando uh, and and then you know created with Finandowati and then Valeri almost finished in himself but for a pretty heroic uh sliding uh, block by by Gustaf Svensson you also had had the one where Samuel Armenteros was played through into the box and, and looked to be in a in a pretty good spot, uh, but ended up going down, I, I, I thought, needlessly and really quite unfortunately, uh, and uh, that to sort of snuff out the, that chance. And then, uh, of course, ultimately the winner. And, you know, I mean, when you're in a game like this, when a, a competent defending team and look, Brian Schmetzer's teams know how to park the bus, right? They literally won an MLS Cup because they know how to park the bus. Uh, and they came to Portland much like they went to Toronto midweek, just looking to park the bus. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I mean, so, so, you know, this was a competent defensive team. When, when a team does put nine behind the ball uh, and, and, you know, I mean, sort of approaches the game in that way, if they're doing their, you know, if they're uh, taking care of their business, uh, even just at, at a decent level, it's going to be hard. You're not going to create a ton of chances because that's just, it's just a lot of numbers. I mean, I don't know how many times the Timbers, you know, would do something. They'd they're, they, they, they beat somebody. They, they'd cut out a couple of guys with a great pass. And, and I'd sort of think, OK, now here's something that's going to be on. And I'd look up and it's like, oh, there's still three white shirts surrounding the ball. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it was there. There was not a lot of space to operate and so credit to the timbers and i think it is good for them that that they uh that they stuck with it as they did uh and and you know it's good that they ultimately got the winner uh but i mean what i call the attacking performance encouraging you would have liked to have seen that process of figuring it out and, and that process of becoming dangerous go more quickly because frankly i mean that's Look, I mean that that's a game with as long as that dragged out, that's a game that more often than not ends in a zero zero draw rather than that one zero win. Uh and so, you know, I mean I, I think there are very reasonable questions about this Timbers attack. Uh I I don't think we've seen a whole lot in the last couple of weeks uh to say this is even an average attacking team. Um and and so you know I mean I, I, I think that's a real question. The, the Timbers have obviously prioritized defense over the course uh, of the last several weeks. That that really is the primary purpose of the four three two one that I keep thinking is dead, and then it kind of comes back, uh, the zombie four three two one at this point. Uh, and look, you know I mean it, it was it was back uh, again on Saturday. The flip side though is the Timbers have been defensively excellent over the course of the last three weeks, they not only have what is now a 280 minute, uh, shutout streak, which is tremendous. Uh, so they not only have that shutout streak, but when you sort of like look to the underlying numbers, you, you, you look to, uh, the shots, you look to the expected goals as a way of getting to, uh, you know, getting a, a, a feel for the quality of the chances the Timbers are giving up. Uh, when you look at a whole of those sort of underlying numbers, they very much support what the Timbers have had in defense. And so I think it is encouraging that the Timbers were, frankly, quite dominant defensively. Uh, the, the Sounders had somewhere, depending on on, on which formula you, you you look at, somewhere between a quarter and a half of an expected goal out of the, that game. That is a dominant defensive performance. And, and I think you'd say watching the game, because, you know, XG is sort of what it is. The, it, it has its inherent limitations and sometimes... You get kind of a wonky xG number, where you say, you know, hey, that team actually had two or three really good chances in that in that game, but it just for for one reason or another, and this happens, just didn't quite translate to xG. No, I mean those are pretty fair numbers, frankly, for the Sounders. They were never super close to scoring, uh, and and that's that's credit to the Timbers' defense, even though the Sounders weren't committing those numbers, even though uh, they were playing Clint Dempsey sort of up top on an island uh, and, and didn't have a huge amount of support behind him, the Timbers still did a good job uh, of of making sure that that the Sounders weren't going to get more out of the, 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 the chance creation game than they were committing into the attack. Uh, and so I, I think from that end, it is very encouraging. And now I think this team that we were talking about being leaky in defense, even just a month ago, uh, has flipped that script. Uh, And and, and so that is encouraging. So I don't know. I I, I come out of the game pretty ambivalent uh, in in that regard. I I think there are some things that concern me with how boring the game was. But I think there are other things that that, that are absolutely encouraging. Those 280 consecutive shutout minutes uh, certainly being one of them. What do you think, Jamie? I mean, we're now, as that suggests, just a little bit over three games into this. It really has been only in the last three games or so in which the Timbers defense has really flexed its muscles. Do you think this is a sign, or or can we say at this point that this is a sign that the Timbers defense has turned it around? Or do you think we need to exercise a little bit more caution and wait for the sample size to get a little bit bigger before we make pronouncements like that?
1: Yeah, I, I mean just how much they've turned it around. I think they conceded 14 goals in the first six games of the season and then zero in the last three. I mean, like you said, they were, they were leaking goals. I I think the biggest thing that we have to look at with this turnaround is that Liam Ridgewell's back on the field. He wasn't playing for four straight games after having, I think an okay start against LA to open the season pretty good compared to the rest of the team. And, And then a terrible start, against the New York York Red Bulls on March 10th. We don't know everything that went on behind the scenes and and why Gio decided to leave him off the field for four straight games. But I think since he's come back, that's the biggest thing that we have to point to in terms of this turnaround. And it's a sign for me that, yeah, maybe the Timbers have really turned a corner. If Liam Ridgewell is going to continue to put in the performances that he has, continue to lead the back line, Uh, and provide both the leadership and just the strong defensive skills he has back there and shown he's capable of in the past and in these last few games, I think the Timbers are going to continue to be a good defensive team. I think he's capable of making up for some mistakes if maybe Alvis Powell has an off day or there's questions in other areas on the back line. Um, I do want to wait for a larger sample size before I really start saying this team's a good defensive team. That's going to be a strength for them this year. But when you look at what's causing the change and what has been the biggest difference, and you look that you're adding in a player with the background and the experience of Liam Ridgewell, who is playing well right now, I think it is a really good sign that they've actually turned a corner.
0: I agree. I mean, I, I think the superlatives are probably best still deployed in, in the present tense. Uh, and the immediate past tense rather than necessarily the future tense i i I guess i'm not quite there and i want i do want a bit more sample before i say this timbers team is a good defensive team and that is going to be part of their identity throughout 2018 but look i mean they they earn they deserve the superlatives for what they've done over the course of the last uh, three weeks or so um and and that's just that i mean uh, that's uh there there's no you know sort of explaining away uh the way they've played in, in, in defense over the last few weeks they played one very good attacking team in, in NYCFC shut them down went on the road and played kind of a so so uh, below average attacking team uh in, in San Jose but did w- went on the road to play them uh and got the clean sheet there uh and then came back to 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 Portland and and, and played given a, a Seattle team that was kind of a mess but also shut them down, uh, and, and so you know. I mean, I, I think when you look at sort of the the entirety of that body of work, it's yeah, it's not like they've played that Seattle team three times. It's it's not like it's just been sort of perfect conditions, bad uh, bad attacking teams, and that's how they got got here. They got here because the Timbers have been really strong defensively, and and they deserve credit for that. Um, it is a huge huge turnaround, as you noted, just in the goal numbers. Uh, from from where they were uh, even a few weeks ago, and, and look, I mean, you, you can if you want to bring back the expected goal numbers. In the the Timbers were basically conceding uh, in those first six games; they were conceding close to they were allowing chances that added up to about two expected goals per game. In the last three games, they've been allowing chances that that add up to a little bit less than one expected goal per game. that, that is literally the difference between being. Second to last in the in the league, and being second in the league, that's a huge, huge turnaround. Uh, and so again, here you have uh, kind of the, the 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 underlying numbers matching up with uh, what we see uh, on, on, on the scoreboard. And so uh, I, I think they they have done very well. Uh, I still think they have work to do to convince me that that this is you know a a, a true long term trend rather than uh the than sort of a, a, a short-term increase in form. But I agree with you. I, I think Ridgewell's been excellent since he stepped in against NYCFC. Those are the three games in which they've made they they, they they've kept their clean sheets. Uh, and and you know, I mean credit to to him, but uh, credit to the to the rest of the back six and even uh you know throwing in somebody like Andy Polo in there as well who's who's also defended very well. Jeff Adanella Although in most of the games, he hasn't had a ton to do. In a game like San Jose, when he did have a couple things to do, he didn't. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, I, I think it it really has been. Even if it is fair to sort of single out Ridgewell uh, and the ways he has helped, uh, I, I think it, it, it goes beyond him as well. Robert Sabiga. Referee. Robert Sabiga. Boy, he had himself a day uh, on Sunday, didn't he? Uh, so... I'm just going to summarize this and then Jamie, I'm going to sort of open it up and let you take this in the direction you want to take it because I think there are a number of different directions that this can be taken. Uh, but in, in the, the first half, there was what I think is uncontroversially uh, referred to as a foul that unequivocally deserved a red card uh, by Jordy DeLem, uh, by the Sounders, Jordy Dilem on uh, Diego Valeri. He was only given yellow. Uh, it, it, although I'm sure there was some commu- communication between the VAR uh, and, and the center referee, he did not ultimately review it, and it stayed as a yellow. Shortly thereafter, uh, Liam Ridgewell uh, saw an opportunity to, to to take his pound of flesh back from uh, Dilemon and and, and and did it. Uh, he in what was a you know I, I think uncontroversially. Uh, a red card worthy foul, for which he was only given yellow. That that one there was some communication we know between the the booth and uh and the center referee, but ultimately it, it was not it sort of it did not go through the formal review process. It was only checked, uh, and that's how it went. Uh, and and it it stayed as a yellow. And, and then later on in the game, uh, there was another uh another a foul by Sebastian Blanco that I think was. Very much, a, a, I'll put it this way: it was a foul on which you you have seen red cards given, uh, and and I don't think anybody would be shocked or scandalized to see a to see a red card given. I, I think it might be a little bit more arguable than the previous two, but look, I mean, it was a it was a pretty hefty foul, uh, and you've seen red red given for less. Uh, that one there was review, uh, but ultimately Sabiga decided to keep it as a yellow as he initially gave it. Jamie, what were your impressions from all of that? Your impressions of Sabiga, your impressions of VAR, your impressions of the way, I mean, it it sort of affected the game uh, as it went along. Uh, Like I said, just going to kind of open this up for you. What were your impressions of all of that?
1: Yeah, I I was shocked that VAR didn't come into effect on on that first foul on on Diego Valeri. That absolutely should have been a red card. That was by far uh, the worst foul of the three. And, And... by underpunishing it, and I think you've talked about that this week and we, we've talked about it in the press box. And um, But by under punishing it, the referee kind of set a precedent. Um, I, I think that's why Leah Ridgewell felt like he could go in for a hard challenge and, and wasn't going to get a red card and why later on it would have been tough to to give Blanco a, a red card for a challenge that wasn't nearly as bad as either of those first two. So I think it just set a bad precedent for the game and led to some dangerous challenges that could have potentially resulted in injuries. Um, I think it also could have. It didn't. It could have led to the game getting a little bit more out of control than it did. Uh, Maybe it was just because of the Sounders game plan and the way they bunkered. It wasn't quite as physical and dirty as some of the Timber Sounders games we've seen in the past. But absolutely, by setting that precedent it could have led to even more fouls um, that vicious fouls, like we saw um, the initial one and the one uh, Ridgewell's foul as well. So I, I just think from a refereeing standpoint, it, it was a bad precedent to set um, and opened it up to the game, getting out of control and put him in a position where he couldn't give red cards later on in the game. And I also think it's a bad look for VAR. I, I just don't understand why that first foul which was the most obvious red card of the three, wasn't even reviewed. If that's what VAR is here for, that should be the perfect example of a foul that's reviewed and ultimately leads to a red card. So I think it created a lot of issues, both questions about VAR and um, put it, the referee in a position where it was very difficult for him to, on any subsequent foul to give a red card.
0: You know, and the, the to the, the stuff about VAR, yeah, I mean... I yeah, maybe it, this is being sort of driven by just where the Timbers' experience with ha, has been with it this year, but my goodness, I mean, it, it feels an awful lot like we've just replaced the randomness of sort of the referee error on the field with the randomness of whatever the VAR interprets the the, the clear and obvious error standard to be. I I mean, we saw it in Orlando where, I mean, uh, Orlando City was was given a penalty on something that was as clear and obviously not a penalty, uh, you know, uh, as as something I can imagine. Uh, And yet VAR doesn't step in. Um, We've seen, uh, you know, here uh, another one that is as clear and obvious a red card as you know, I mean, you're, you're going to see if you sit down and watch 15 games. I mean, it, it, that, that was a really, really bad foul. It was an obvious red card and yet Bumpkus from the booth, uh, you know, I mean, and, and then on the other hand, you do see these games you periodically where they, you know, I mean, there, there was one in Atlanta earlier this year when Vancouver was playing, uh, was playing Atlanta where VAR was used to send off Kendall Waston on a red card that was ultimately rescinded because it was a, it, because it was wrong. it obviously wasn't a clear and obvious error it, 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 there wasn't even an error at all not to give a red card uh, and and yet not only was did, did, did the the referee go onto the hood so to speak, but it w- was recommended to, to, to find it to be a clear and obvious error not to not to give a red card. And so this just seems totally and utterly random and if the entire point, of VAR was to sort of give us an added level of consistency. And of course it can never be perfect, but to give us an added level of consistency on things like this, I'm just, I, I, am not convinced we're getting the results, uh, that, that we should be getting out of a system like this. So that was, that was, you know, an obvious frustration yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you that the overall game didn't really have a sort of feeling of being out of control. But on the other hand, we had three tackles in the game that I think with a straight face, you can say should have been a red cards, should have been straight red cards. Uh, that's a that's a bad game. Uh, that That's an ugly game uh, when you have three tackles like that. It's not great to have one of those in a game and, and to have three, uh, I think it is just kind of a further black mark uh, on that game. So... You know, I, I, I agree with you entirely on the effect that under-punishing that first tackle had. Uh, I, I think Sabiga took the red card out of his own pocket. And, you know, between he and the VAR, they have nobody else to blame for that. Uh, and, you know, it, it was unfortunate in, in, in the way it played out uh, as a result of that major error that he made in the first half. The Ridgwell's tackle for me also raises another issue. And this is always something that I'm very much of two minds about because I agree with you that it was pretty clearly in retaliation for the, the tackle on Valeri. Uh, I am absolutely and you know, I don't have inside information on this, but just from the outside, I'm absolutely positive that Ridgewell knew exactly what he was doing. Uh, when he went in on Dilem, he knew it was dilem that he was going in on. Uh, he knew that Sabiga, uh, I mean short of something just absolutely butcherish. Uh, he knew that Sabiga couldn't give him red. Uh, and so he he sort of had carte blanche uh, to, to, to to put that tackle in. And, and you know, I mean that that's that's what it is. I mean, on, on one hand, I don't like seeing that just because I don't like seeing those kinds of tackles in in games. I think they're dangerous. I think they're bad for, for games and they, they, they can often turn games into, you know, senseless uh, rounds of handbags. But even more than that, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I, it, it can end careers. And, and Steve Zachwani, a guy who knows both sides of this rivalry, was talking about this on Twitter during the game, where when you have tackles like this and when you have sort of escalating or, 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 or you know, chain reaction kinds of tackles like this, Guys are in serious danger of having serious injuries, and and that's not good. So that's that's the first mind that I that I'm of when it comes to these kinds of things, and and I I lean toward that. But there's another aspect to to what Ridwell did that I think is important, specifically in the context of him. And it's that I I would be similarly sure as I was sure <laughs> about the about his intent. Uh, with the dilemma tackle that there are some guys in the locker room that see that. And and in light of everything that's been going on with Ridgewell this season, they kind of say, all right, this guy's got my back out there. You know, I mean, this guy's bought in, uh, you know, if he's going to be the guy uh, that that's going to be that little bit of an enforcer, that if the referee isn't going to protect us, that he is going to be the guy uh, or he is going to be a guy that's going to be willing to protect his teammates. Um, I I wouldn't, I would be quite confident in saying that, that there are some folks in, in the Timbers locker room that see that uh, and, and, and for whom Ridgewell goes up in their estimation a bit. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I, I hate seeing games play out that way. Uh, I don't like uh, the need to have an enforcer. Uh, but the fact that Ridgewell was, I, I think, is probably notable, certainly to some folks in the locker room. Jamie, did you get that same sort of impression and feeling out of that play and, and, and its significance for Ridgewell in particular?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's hard, I guess, from our perspective to completely tell what the attitude towards Ritual is in the locker room. We we know that there's probably some disagreements or, or some things that have gone uh, down with him and uh, with him and Geo. Um, but I don't necessarily you know, know for sure.
0: And I'm going to I guess I'm going to step in to disagree with you to maybe have you sort of expand on your point. Uh, and that is, look, I mean, you see the stuff in New York, and and that by itself, to me, like there's no way that guys look at that and look. Players do see that stuff. They see it in film session. They see it on Twitter. They see they they see it elsewhere. There's no way that it, that that you showed that video to you know however many guys in the locker room and none of them came out upset about it. Right.
1: Yeah. No. I. I mean, it's not that I, I don't think players we're potentially upset about that New York game. But I I think a lot of these players have been teammates with Ridgewell for a long time and and probably have opinions of him that have been built over years, not over one game. Um, Look at the majority of the the starters on the field. So I'm just, my point is that I'm not sure exactly what the feeling, the overall feeling in the locker room has been towards Ridgewell during this saga. Um, I, like you said, yeah, you look at the New York game, I'm sure there's players that were frustrated. I'm not sure if that frustration um, or anger is something that it has lingered on to this point in the season, especially with Ridgewell already coming back and having two good performances uh, after that. those four games away. That said, I, I agree with both your points about the two sides of it. We never want to see plays like that because they can injure players. It can end careers, but at the same time, it's something that happens in sports. And you know, if you've been around sports enough, you look at baseball. If one player gets hit, the pitcher going to come out and hit another player. That kind of retaliation is something that sort of proves a point to your teammates that you have their back. And that's something you see across multiple sports. Um, and so yeah, a ritual in a way probably did prove a point, e- even if we don't know exactly the feeling of him at that moment in the locker room to begin with. He did obviously prove a point, and that's what you see in sports that he did have his teammates back in that moment.
0: So the the final talking point coming out of this game was about the mask, Chucky, <laughs> uh, Sebastian Blanco. We we we'd known that his his nickname in in Argentina was Chucky. Uh, if you didn't know that before the game, you definitely do now, uh, because mm-hmm. after he scored that winner, he eventually donned a, a Chucky mask, uh, for the celebration. And and then for the, the log ceremony, uh, thereafter, uh, my question to you about this is, is very simple. Awesome or creepy.
1: It, it was just so creepy. Um, <laughs> I'm, I, I appreciate that he went through all the effort and it's his nickname and he hit it. So that that's kind of cool, but, um, Yeah, uh, that just those photos after after the game of him running around with the mask on and and lifting the log, um, they are just so so creepy.
0: Yeah, so like it's it's too real, (laughs) like it it was like too good of a mask. Uh, It's an
1: impressive mask.
0: Because because, like that was my impression too. I was just like that, like it looks like actually Chucky. Uh, So I uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna split my answer into in concept. Awesome, in in practice the way it worked out, super creepy, <laughs> and not something that 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 I enjoyed. Even if I did, like you know, use the picture in my piece, so I guess I'm kind of a hypocrite there. But uh, you know, I mean, it, 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 yeah, it, that, awesome thought, Siva. Very creepy execution. Um, the injury report. I think only one guy to talk about that's new on this, and that is Alvis Powell. He came out of the game with what looked like a foot-ish kind of thing. Uh, it's always a little bit hard to tell from, uh, from from the press box with specifics, but looked like a foot-ish sort of thing. Uh, he came out, uh, was replaced by Dirona Spria in the 80-somethingth minute. Um, shortly before the, 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 the Timbers got that, that winner. Uh, we do not have an update from, from Gio Savarese on this because we were recording on Tuesday evening. And this week, because of the way the schedule worked out, uh, his presser is on Wednesday. So this is just a reminder to, to bookmark that, flag that uh, for folks as an issue to be w- watching this week. Um, we did find out, though, that David Guzman has made it uh, on Costa Rica's preliminary roster for the World Cup uh, we're still waiting to see if Andy Polo is going to make peruse. They're a little bit late uh, releasing their their entire preliminary roster in, in significant part because I imagine uh, they had their captain and, and one of their best players banned uh, for, for doping. Or rather, uh, I should say he had his, his ban reinstated. It was initially 14 months to include the World Cup. It was shortened to six months uh, to exclude the World Cup. And here it was, it was re-lengthened back to its 14 months. And as a result, uh, Pablo Guerrero will not be uh, playing for Peru at the World Cup. But we haven't seen their full roster, so we don't know about Polo yet. David, though, as to Guzman, wants to know, how does he fit uh, into the Costa Rican national team? So this was a a pretty easy question about six months ago uh, because Guzman was basically just their starting number six. Uh, You know, I mean, Costa Rica has pretty consistently run uh, a three or five uh, player back line depending on, uh, on on how you want to shape it up and depending on the game uh, but nonetheless they, 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 they've they run sort of that basic system uh, and he's been their number six uh, by and large uh, and and it had increasingly sort of laid claim to that position as Rondal Azofaifa who had the position before just gets a little bit older I think he's with uh, Aradiano right now if my memory is serving me correctly um, but but he had he had been that number six for Costa Rica for a long time. uh, But Guzman was really sort of stepping into it. And and, and this fall had basically looked like he'd won that spot. Um, And, and, you know, I mean, I don't think there's been any sort of obvious sea change uh, from specifically Guzman's perspective with respect to uh, the, the Costa Rica team, other than the fact that he got hurt uh, in, in, in the last round of friendlies. And as a result, I don't think we know exactly how he is, uh, informed with the team right now. I don't think we know exactly where he is in his fitness, even though we did see him with T2, uh, a, a week ago. So I, I think that remains to be seen, but you know, I would expect that if he is informed and if he is fit, uh, by the time the world cup comes around, I think he's probably the, the favorite uh to 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 win that starting spot for for the Ticos in Russia. Jamie, does that line up with with your thinking on on the matter?
1: Yeah. Um I I think the biggest thing is, is the in- injury and how that plays into their decision, but like you said, he was lining up to be the starting number 6 uh, prior to that injury.
0: So that is where we will see David Guzman. It would be great, as we've discussed a few times uh, before, it would be great for the Timbers if Guzman goes to Russia and has a good World Cup uh, because either they would get a player coming back in great form uh, or they would get somebody who has a lot of uh, value on the transfer market if the, if the Timbers decide they want to pave the way for somebody uh, like Christian Paredes to be a permanent part of the starting lineup. Uh, Timbers versus LAFC. That's Saturday at noon. Uh, so for, for LAFC has a number of guys uh, on uh, World Cup rosters. Carlos Vela, obviously. Uh, but also Steve Batesher for uh, Iran. Um, uh, Omar Gabert for Egypt, and there's one more that I'm definitely forgetting uh, at the moment, but they have four players on World Cup rosters. Uh, many teams open camp this week, uh, but MLS actually, because they're still in season, are, is not required to release players until next week. That, though, doesn't mean that players won't be released. Uh, you know, I mean, it, there are, I'm sure, players that will be asking their clubs to release them this week, uh, and I'm sure there will be some clubs the, the, that agree to do that. Uh, so I don't think we know and, 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 teams have sort of played this intentionally close to the vest. I don't think we entirely know, uh, yet who is going to be out for LAFC. If, if anybody of, of those players on world cup teams, Oh, uh, Marco Ureña for Costa Rica is the fourth one. Uh, this is just like how my brain works. Like I'll be talking about something like <laughs> basically different. And then all of a sudden I'll be like, Oh, right. And there was this other thing that we were talking about several minutes ago. Um, but yeah, so, so those are the four, um, uh, and, and yeah, so we'll see which of them. U- Urania, of course, is hurt anyway, so he won't be with LAFC. Uh, it sounds like he is on target to be back by Russia, uh, and so he may well be be playing uh, for Costa Rica. But he just had uh, he had a broken bone in his face and, and, and had a surgery to, to relieve that. Uh, and as a result, uh, will not be a, in Portland. But otherwise, we, we don't know uh, about Vela Gaber. Uh, or Bateshire, uh for uh, the black and gold this weekend. Um, we got a few more questions. Let's answer them. Dominic wants to know, why do national writers always discount the Timbers? If the Timbers win on Saturday, will it be possible for them to continue to discount uh, Gio Savarese's team? What do you think, Jamie?
1: No, I, I think if the Timbers win on Saturday, we'll, we'll see national writers start talking about them because they're playing an LAFC team that... They, it has a lot of coverage around it uh, because it's LA and it's an expansion club, and they've done very well for an expansion club coming to the year. And they're playing a LAFC team that's done well on the road. So if the Timbers win uh, this game and extend their winning streak, I think they're going to be impossible to ignore. I think that maybe National Writers generally ignore the Timbers, but at the same time, I, I think given their start to the season, it's been easy to ignore them, to kind of look at the this winning streak as maybe a blip, um, maybe with teams like Seattle coming in that's been struggling, a San Jose team that's not been that good, a, a lucky result against NYCFC. At some point, national writers are, are going to have to look more closely at the Timbers if they keep winning, but given the five-game stretch to open the season – I don't think it's completely unfair that they had that the assumption hasn't suddenly been, oh, the Timbers really need to move up our rankings um, with these three, these three straight wins, uh, given how they performed uh, for five games in a row.
0: Yeah. I mean, so that's almost exactly my uh, my thinking about it. If the if the Timbers win on Saturday, they I mean, they have to be sort of a, a headline. Uh, they have to be sort of a oh my are the you know the, these timbers look like they they're for real uh, and are going to be real contenders in the in a pretty wide open west uh, so you know I mean that is that that is I, I think in many ways a big sort of w- uh, opportunity for a statement win for the timbers this upcoming weekend but look you know I I, I think national writers right now are. I don't know if I would say they're ignoring the Timbers as much as they just don't quite know what to make of them. Uh, And I think the reason is basically the reason that I'm not sure quite what to make of the Timbers. Um, Look, you know, I mean, as we've talked about, uh, they have looked at sort of various times good in the attack and good in defense. But they've not really looked good at both of those things at the same time yet. Uh, And so I I do think it is just as it was fair to wonder coming off that road streak, whether whether maybe some of those poor results were, you know, kind of a combination of a little bit bad luck and and maybe the team punching just a little bit under its weight uh, on that season opening road trip. I think it's probably equally fair right now to wonder whether this team is maybe punching a little bit over its weight over the course of the last three or four weeks. Uh, and, and and that maybe this four-game win streak isn't quite a, a indicative like that five-game winless streak uh, maybe isn't quite indicative of, of, of where the team is. And so, I mean, I, I get the, the the reluctance to sort of jump in on a hot take really either way uh, about this Timbers team right now because I, I think there's a lot yet to figure out. Look, I think a big thing for, for me right now is, and I wrote about this a little bit in, in my last Timbers, Timber Cruise uh, on Stumptown Footy uh, after the game, you know, if you asked me what the one thing the Timbers do that makes them difficult for you know the, the what the one thing the Timbers do to st- sort of dominate opponents, if you asked me what that one thing is, I'm not sure I know right now. And and that's not that's not I'm not saying that to be critical of of, of Savarese. I think Geo, especially over the course of the, of the last month or so, has done a pretty brilliant job. Uh, of getting his team ready to play, you know, sort of the opponent in front of them, sort of that that every game is a final mentality. Uh, he's done an outstanding job of getting his team ready to play those particular games. But I think there is an element of their identity that, that still is a little bit lacking and is still something that, that they probably need to be working on sort of over the course of the long term. So, you know, I mean, until you see something like that, until you know exactly what to make of the team, uh, I, I think it's a little bit hard to say, yes, this is absolutely a contender in the West, or even, no, this is absolutely not a contender in the West, or they're going to be lucky to make the playoffs. I, you know, I, I think as much as any team in MLS right now, they're probably the, the wait-and-see team. Casey wants to know, or, 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 or says generally, broadly, please discuss CI Demand's degree uh, of his six degrees on Stumptown Footy on Fernando Adi and people's disdain for the Nigerian forward. Why do people not, why do people from Casey's perspective uh, not understand the soccers and claim that Armentero should start over Adi? Jamie Goldberg, what is your take on Adi uh, folks distaste for him uh, and, and, and whether, you know, Armentero or Adi should be starting for the Timbers?
1: I, I think it is. I think it's fair to, to start looking at whether Armenteros or Audi should start. I, I think that they offer completely different things, and for those people out there that are maybe saying, "Oh, Armenteros can bring everything, Audi can bring," that that's not necessarily correct. I mean, Audi, with his hold-up play, um, that's been a major asset for the Timbers over the years. He has, in past years, been a really consistent goal scorer for the Timbers, and he had uh, gotten those two goals um, in two games earlier this season. Armenteros obviously hasn't had the minutes, but in his chances, hasn't yet found a goal. But you look at the la- the last two games, Armenteros, it was Armenteros' pass that found Sebastian Blanco, and that was a very, very good pass. Um, so he deserves a lot of credit uh, for helping the Timbers get this last win. It, it came after he dove in the box uh, in an opportunity that he should have had a chance to convert. And so it-, it came after a poor decision by him, but ultimately he redeemed himself with that pass, the The week before, he drew the foul at San Jose that led to Valeri's free kick. So he, off the bench, he has been contributing, although he hasn't been finding the goals. And he does offer something different than Audi. Um, I think, given the fact that Audi hasn't been finding goals, and I don't think was particularly effective against Seattle, I, I think there it is fair to question whether or not Geo. This might be the time for Geo to give Armenteros another opportunity. Uh, because he hasn't had all that many minutes or all that many opportunities to really prove whether or not he can be uh, the better starter. Um, I, 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 Adi's proved himself with the Timbers over the long run. He, he's he been a very good piece for them. I'm, I'm just not sure that his season this year has gone uh, all that well so far, and I think it is fair to, to look at the other option the Timbers have.
0: So I I both agree and disagree yes. with Casey's premise. Um, uh, I I think a lot of the you know disdain and antipathy for Adi is unfair. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. I mean y- you just look at the guy's resume uh, for the Timbers. He's the second leading goal scorer in club history, uh, only second to a guy who is going to have his his name in the rafters. Uh, you know within about a minute and a half of his retirement uh, and Diego Valeri. Uh, I mean, if you're second to Diego Valeri, you're doing it like in basically anything in life. This is this is actually a good life moment. If in anything in life, you are second to Diego Valeri, you should be dang proud of yourself. Um, and so Fernando, I should be dang proud of himself uh, about the way he is produced uh, for the Timbers. Look, you know, he does have two goals uh, on, on the season, which I'm sure he's disappointed with. At at this point of the year, he also has two assists. I think that's disappointing, but not disastrous production uh, by any means. You know, only nine games in. If if that is sort of one of his dry spells for the year, uh, and and he has other other periods in which he is banging in the goals, I I think you know that's not terrible. Uh, I don't think he was terrible against the Sounders. I think he had a really hard job. Uh, because whereas he's normally working off of two center backs, he was working off of three uh, against the Sounders, and as a result, it just became an awful lot harder for him. He had to, he had to drop deeper at times to to find the ball. Uh, it was just harder for him to to sort of get get involved. I thought he did still find some some moments, including on that through ball to the that little first time through ball to Valeri. Uh, he did still find some moments to certainly make a difference, uh, and 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 so you know I I thought he had a you know, an okay game uh, o- overall under some pretty difficult conditions. And then I thought Samuel Armenteros came in a- a- against a tired back line. Uh, and, you know, a- he wasn't perfect by any means. He, he had a-, a couple plays that were, frankly, pretty haggard. Uh, and then he also had a, a-, a moment of absolute brilliance. Uh, and-, and-, and so, you know, credit to him. Uh, for that. And, and I do think there is, there, there is a, a compelling argu- argument to say that maybe Armenteros should get a start this upcoming week. Uh, there are, I think, at least theoretical reasons to think that Armenteros, a, a guy who's a little bit more dependent on movement and, 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 and is a little bit more incisive with his, with his movement, that when you're not committing numbers into the attack, that that is pretty important. That way, if you're going to play something like a four three two one, that that can be more effective uh, than somebody like Adi there's a counter argument to that, that that you when you aren't committing those numbers uh that when you are pulling that winger back into being uh sort of a a, a defensive midfielder hybrid winger kind of thing uh that you also need the holdup play that, that Adi provides and, and and provides a lot better than Armenteros does so you know I mean I, I think you can you can make arguments both ways there but look yeah I mean Samuel Armenteros has made a difference in the last two games uh, and I think for that reason you know, maybe aside from any other, that's a good reason to say, okay, we're going to give this guy a start. We're going to give him the 75 minutes. We're going to give Adi the 15. That's not to say it's a permanent decision. I don't think it should be a permanent decision. I I think Fernando Adi is still a guy that's going to make a difference for the Timbers at some point this year. It's probably going to make a difference for the Timbers at multiple points through the course of the year. Uh, And that you want to to get him involved. But look, the the Timbers didn't bring Samuel Armateros here to only play five minutes here and 10 minutes here and 15 minutes here. He's a guy with a, a bona fide resume, especially in scoring goals, uh, and, and is a guy that, that you would certainly expect to be able to do it at the MLS level. So he's going to get some starts, and I think it, it makes sense to give him one uh, you know, uh, coming up just sort of based on the relative form. But I also think Fernando Adi's is a really, really good player, uh, somebody who's been excellent for the Timbers uh, and, and, and gets more you know, negativity directed his way than, than, than I think is fair. Okay. The thorns. That's who we're talking about now. And a not very good week. I remember you and I were talking about this last week and said, what is sort of the standard for what is now last week. And we were sort of like, Hey, you know, they really want six points. uh, But if they get four, I think they'd be fine with it. (laughs) Well, they got one, which is less than six and is also less than four. Um, and, and they got it in pretty disappointing fashion. They went down to Houston midweek and, and we're going to sort of talk about these as, as a, as a whole now, since the, the Houston game is pretty remote from now, from where we are in time. Uh, they went down to Houston. They, they drew one, one on a Maria uh, started things off in the first half by, by sort of cleaning up a little bit of a scramble in the box and putting the thorns ahead. But the second half was pretty dreadful. Uh, for the thorns, the dash equalized, and 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 that is how the game ended up. Our predictions, not good. Uh, I called a three-two win for the thorns with Tobin Heath uh, adding a winner off the bench. Jamie, you called a two-one win, but you did get the Surnagorsevich goal. Uh, I'm going to give us zero points for our result uh, predictions, but I am uh, going to step in and go ahead uh, and give you 12.362 points uh, for getting Cernogor- for correctly predicting uh opener. For the Thorns, her 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 first goal in 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 Thorns red, mm-hmm. although it was the the white, you know, the <laughs> yeah tire tracks jersey, yeah, tire tracks. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, and the, you know, so you know, disappointing result to be sure in, in Houston, but again, not disastrous. Coming home against the Pride, certainly a game the Thorns would have expected to win. They did not. They lost it two one. Uh, was the final score. Uh, two first half concessions in, in the course of the, in the first 20, what, two minutes or so, uh, both off of bad defensive mistakes, um, put them behind the eight ball that they weren't a- able to get out from behind again, our predictions, not good. Uh, I called a three, one win for the thorns with midge purse, adding an assist. Uh, you called a 2-0 win with Tobin Heath starting and having two assists, Zero points all around for that is my call. Do you have any problem with any of the, the, the points and the predictions and all that before we get into the substance?
1: No. I, I think that's accurate.
0: Okay. So uh, from the Thorns end, I'm actually going to reverse the mental notes here. From the Thorns end, uh, two more defensive gaffes uh, against the Pride. Uh, both early in the game really, really got them off to the start that they didn't need. I mean, my goodness, can the Thorns expect to win games as long as they're this mistake thrown? I mean, they, they're now five games winless. Uh, this is a run of form like we haven't seen since maybe before the Mark Parsons era. Uh, yeah. and, and and yeah, uh, you know, I mean, can they expect to win against anybody uh, as long as they are stubbing their own toe like this?
1: Yeah, they they had never gone more than three games, uh, winless in prior to the, this streak, uh, in the Mark Parsons era. And, and they'd only done that once, um, outside of that, they'd probably only gone, they'd probably gone winless two, two games in a row a few times, but, uh, they'd never gotten to four and they've absolutely had never gotten to five. I haven't looked back to the last time that's happened, uh, for the Thorns, but it was definitely in the Paul Riley era. Um, yeah, it, it it's been bad and I don't think the Thorns can expect to win if they are if they keep playing uh, if they keep having the defensive errors that they've been having. I I mean these are glaring defensive errors that are leading directly to goals. This this isn't oh maybe they need to do a little better on set pieces or crosses or 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 something that needs to be corrected so they they can improve a little bit. They're just giving away goals and you can't do this in a league as competitive as the NWSL. Yes, and I, I think we'll get to it. There, there's reasons to argue that the Thorns should have still won the game. Maybe the refereeing played into it. But the Thorns put themselves in a position to lose that game, and, and they lost. And ultimately, I think it's a deserved loss because on both those goals, they have to do better. Britt Eckerstrom has to do better. The lead-up to that to that goal, even though it was a nice shot from there, uh, the, Thorns, the Thorns need to do better. And, and Mallory Weber completely whiffs on a ball in front of – Goal and Alex Morgan takes advantage of that and scores. So um, I, I think the tough part now for the Thorns is I wouldn't be surprised if this is getting in their head. Um they are a better defensive team than this. They have the talent. If you look at their overall performance on defense, it, it's not bad. And teams aren't consistently breaking them down. But for whatever reason, when a big moment comes up here and there, uh they are collapsing. And until they find a way to correct that, and until they find a way to To make sure that they have the right mentality that this doesn't get to get in their heads too much, um, and they they find a way to just be consistent in these moments, I don't think they're going to win a lot of games.
0: So this is what I just don't get about it, because, look, the yeah, and it, and it's sort of the you made this point in, in your your last little bit there. You watch this team. And you watch them sort of over the the course of ninety minutes, give it the the game as a whole test. They're defensively pretty good. They don't bleed chances. Uh, it's not like they they've had a goalkeeper that's bailing them out multiple multiple times per game. It's not like it's been a matter of terrible finishing from uh, from their opponents, and and maybe they've gotten away from a few. They they're you know by and large the ninety minute test. They're a good defensive team. And yet they give away these goals that that are like you said giveaways, and it's the kind of thing. I mean, that that's why when we were talking about this a few weeks ago, I was like, I'm not really that worried about it, right? Because you know, I mean, sometimes you have a couple of giveaways in in, in close succession, and it just happens, and and it goes away, and you and you 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 know you you sort of have positive regression, if you will, uh, and 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 things turn out okay but they've gone the other direction. The, 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 these giveaways are getting more common uh, there. And yeah, I mean, I didn't think the thorns were all that good in the first 20 minutes or so of that game to start with. Uh, I thought they were uncharacteristically sloppy and maybe actually, you know, a big picture defensively w- was about as poor as, as I've seen them, but it's not like, yeah, I mean, as you were saying, it's not like the or Orlando were creating these great chances or created the chances from the, which the goals came, they're just, yeah. I, I, it, which is, I'm at the point now where I'm kind of worried about it. If it were something where it was structural or it was something tactical, I would have quite a bit of faith uh, in Mark Parsons and and, and in, and in the, the team that he has that they'd be able to fix it. Because I think uh, I think Mark is a very good coach uh and i think the team is 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 a pretty good team and i and i think they've got a lot of veterans and they've got a lot of smart players on there that would be able to work through it and so i would almost be more comforted <laughs> if that were the problem Now, i mean it, it's just like they've got the worst case of yips I, I think i've ever seen in a team and and i that that concerns me <laughs> that that maybe scares me more uh than the alternative and so We'll see. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think they can expect to win as, as long as they're, you know, just bleeding one, two goals a game out of nonsense. Uh, I, I, I don't think they're, they're going to ex- win a lot of games as long as that's the case. And so it's something they need to fix. I'm just, you know, I don't find myself in, in this place often. I'm kind of at a loss as to, as to what needs to be done uh, in order to do that, though. Uh, so you referred to it, but, but the Thorns had two goals uh, disallowed. Let's talk about it all now. Let's walk through it. Uh, the first was a Mallory Weber uh, goal. It, it, it came off a header from, I'm relying on my memory here. Was it Haran uh, that had the initial header? Uh, and, then it, and then it went to Weber. Uh, Weber put a, 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 her, her own header off the bar, uh, but then she put that back uh, for the goal. She was, however, flagged offside. Uh, on Horan's, if I'm getting identifying the person correctly, uh, on her initial header, and then the second was a, a, a foul on Lindsey Haran uh, in sort of a, a a little bit of a goal mouth challenge uh, with Ashlyn Harris uh, that was controversial. Uh, what was your take on both of the calls? Were both or either of them correct? And and, and sort of what's the the broader takeaway here? Let's sort of sibiga it, if you will. Uh and, and 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 talk about your impressions across the spectrum of things to talk about uh w- with respect to these issues.
1: Yeah, I I don't think either of the calls were correct. I I think that the Mallory Weber one was close, and I can see that being called. Um, but I I think when you they and they don't have var anything. When, I think when you look at it, I I don't see her as offsides. I think the other other one. Um wasn't a foul on Lindsay Horan. And I, I think that was a tough call and the Thorns should have got a goal there. Um, I do think it speaks to the refereeing to, to some extent. I, I think the NWSL, if you really look at, at the referees that they have, a, a lot of them are pretty inexperienced and a lot of the better referees end up moving on uh, to, to other things is it the NWSL doesn't seem to be, you know, the, at this point, I, I, where referees in their career want to end up Um, a lot, a lot of the better referees, I I think ultimately move on or take on international games. And I I think there has been over the years issues with the refereeing within the league. Um, I I don't know if I want to completely say that blame. I I don't want to blame the referees for this game, because like I said, I, I think the thorns put themselves in a position uh, where, where they put themselves in the position to lose. And I think they have to put, take full responsibility for that. But I, I didn't think the calls were correct. And obviously, those were both game-changing moments. And had they gone the other way, uh, the Thorns would have been in completely different position. So, yeah, I, I think there are questions and there will continue to be questions about the refereeing in the N- NWSL more broadly. Uh, I, I think those calls should have gone the other way. Um, but, but I, I think the thorns deserve to lose because of the goals they conceded. So,
0: you know, I mean, to your, to your last point, the way I would, I would phrase it. And I think it's pretty much consistent with what you just said is the thorns put themselves in a position where they were really vulnerable to bad luck. Right. Uh, You know, I mean, when you, when you put yourself down two goals, even if you play well from there, and I thought the thorns played okay from there, but even if you play really well from there, a little bit of bad luck might do you in anyway if you don't concede those goals, you're not vulnerable to bad luck in that same way. And I do think the thorns got bad luck. You know, I mean, I think the, the, the video evidence, the, the, the photographic evidence is pretty clear that Mallory Weber was, was level. She was onside. Uh, that should have been a good goal period. Um, and that's, that's unfortunate. As you said, it's, it's a fairly close play. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it's not like that's, Scandalous, she was onside by a yard you know kind of, kind of stuff um, and that is you know it's bad luck but it's a, it's a miss by the ar uh, and it's a miss by 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 the center referee who has the ultimate responsibility for making the call the the second one is is interesting because i, I agree with you that after looking at the replay i don't think it's a foul on on her end um, she has just as much right to go in for that challenge as as, as Harris does Um, and she didn't, uh, and 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 I thought she, you know, I mean, the she was, I I thought she got in without fouling Ashlyn Harris. Period. Uh, I mean, I I think that that's the the sort of the long and short uh, of the analysis uh, of the play, and so I don't think it was a foul. That said, I think you will see that called a foul probably seven or eight times out of ten. Uh, and and this is admittedly a pet peeve of mine when it comes to refereeing, I think there are very good reasons to protect goalkeepers. I think a lot of referees take those good reasons to protect goalkeepers and over referee thing, things that involve goalkeepers. Uh, and that's one where, where I think the, the attacking player, uh, used appropriate, the sort of the, the appropriate amount of force, uh, went into the, the challenge in a responsible way. Uh, you know, and, and, and it was a, a, a fair challenge in in my view and shouldn't have been called. Um, that said, yeah I mean you know i I think if you play that play you know in, in from the view of the of the center referee on that field at that time if you if you stick 10 referees in, in on the field there I think seven of them probably call it maybe eight of them probably call it uh and and we're kind of grousing about about that afterwards so um again bad luck because I, I think it, you know I mean looking at at the replay and with the the benefit of the video I would say yeah Good goal. 3-2. Uh, um, but, you know, that's not the way it, 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 it worked out. I, I You know, and the, the consistency issues with referees and NWSL, though, aren't new, right? Um, yeah. yeah. This is something that I think we've been talking about basically since the, the, the beginning of the league. Um, it's something that we will talk about certainly through the end of my career. Uh, because it's going to remain an issue for the next few weeks. <laughs> um, and, and, and so, I mean, it's it just sort of what it is. There are some good referees in NWSL. I, I've seen even some games this year. In fact, I, I remember thinking a week or two ago, you know, I think I've seen better sort of like the overall level of refereeing in NWSL this year just seems better. Maybe it's just been Thorns games or the games that I've watched, but seems higher and, and more consistent than in years past. Maybe this is just the regression. Uh, from for, from that point, but you know, I, I mean, I, I think your your ultimate takeaway though is right. If the Thorns don't give away those two bad goals, they win that game one zero, and and this is sort of a, a semi funny footnote <laughs> when, when when it comes to the game. Uh, Thorns at Spirit. Uh, we need to talk about the injury report, and I think the the one that's new. Uh, that, that's new here, uh, is just a, and it's not an injury as an absence report, if you will, uh, is Megan Klingenberg. She was out for personal reasons, uh, against the pride. That was a big factor in the game. Uh, Mallory Weber started in her place. Uh, she did not do well as a wing back. She eventually, and not even that eventually in the first half, Mark Parsons went away from the five player back line, shifted Weber up top where she actually had played quite well. Um, but nonetheless, uh, Kling was missing and that certainly created some issues. What do we know about the, the personal reasons? Was this sort of a one-time thing or is this something where we expect her to be out for the spirit as well?
1: Yeah. Um, obviously we don't know what the personal reasons were, but, uh, she was back in training today. So I think the expectation is that she's going to be in the game, uh, this weekend.
0: Right. We've seen that for a lot of different reasons <laughs> over the course of the last few years. Everything from kind of an exile in 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 alley long sense uh to, you know, sort of a uh, you know, more much more common everyday family stuff, that those kinds of things. Uh but it sounds like this is the latter, not an exile by any means. Uh and that Kling will be back. And and, and so that does solve sort of a big problem from the Pride game going into the spirit game uh, for the thorns. And, and I think make some selections easier for, uh, Mark Parsons. Do you think, uh, I mean, I mean, what do you expect then out, out of the game? Do you think this is going to be the first time that we see, you know, perhaps barring Haley Rosso, uh, something close to the thorns first choice, at least field players, uh, with Britt Eckstrom <laughs> in, in goal over Francher, is, is this going to be, uh, still a little bit of a duct tape job for Parsons?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it should be pretty close to the Thorns' top 11 outside of Rosso and France uh, at this point. I, I think they're still integrating Carpenter and in, in deciding what role they, they want her to play in. And Mark Parsons talked about that a little bit today, um, not necessarily wanting to throw her onto the back line immediately, especially when they're already making changes with Emily Menges coming in and given um the fact that they need the back line to, to really be consistent, don't want to necessarily throw too many changes on there. So I don't know what position we'll see Carpenter in. I don't know if that's going to change over time, if she will move into that wing back role. Uh, Emily Menges, I, I think, can only go around 60, 70 is what Mark said for the game. So that obviously factors in into the substitution pattern and just not having her for most likely the very end of that match. Tobin Heath is probably still building fitness. So I I don't think the thorns are at completely full strength, but, but I think in terms of the personnel on the field, yeah, this is going to be close to uh, what we're going to expect their top lineup to look like later in the year. Um, that said, I, 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 I'm not that confident going into this game. I, I think Washington is a difficult trip. Uh, it's a long way. It's tough conditions um, playing on that field. It, so, I am just not sure. I I mean, this is a game that the thorns are capable of winning. Washington hasn't done that well this year, but given the defensive errors they've been making, uh, like you said, it's not an easy solution. Uh, We can't just be confident in Mark Parsons, find the tactical, uh, way to break out of these problems. Uh, the thorns just have to do better in those moments. And until they prove that they're turning a corner with that, uh, it's hard to look into to any game right now and, and expect uh, that the Thorns can get a win because uh, I just really don't know what to expect from the defense at this point.
0: The only other absence, and it was not an absence from the team as a whole that was notable uh, to me against the Pride was Serna Gorsovic. Uh, after scoring that goal midweek, she did not play at all uh, against the Pride. Do we know why that was uh, and, and do we expect her back this week or, or is that a bit of a mystery?
1: Yeah, we, we don't actually know exactly. I had wanted to ask Mark about that today. His press conference ended up running a little long with other questions, and I wasn't able to get that one in. Um, I think after this weekend, we'll have a better sense whether or not that was just a matter of resting her, a matter of trying to get Ellie Carpenter on the field and needing to make a substitution or, or something else. So she was in training today, um, so it's not like she's absent or anything like that. Um, but, but obviously if for some reason she's not on the lineup this weekend, that will be a big question for Mark next week.
0: A big question to be sure. So let's go ahead and, and, and put down our stake. Let's get to our predictions, starting with Timbers versus LAFC. That game is Saturday at noon. Um, what's going to happen, Jamie Goldberg? What do you think?
1: I am going to be optimistic, uh, and predict that the Timbers are going to win this game two to one. Um, and Larry is going to kind of lead the way with that, uh, as he often does, he's going to get a goal and an assist.
0: I'm going to be a little bit less optimistic, but I think nonetheless, you know, this would not be a devastating result by any means. I'm going to go ahead and say one-to-one, uh, I, I, I think the Timbers are going to have, uh, you know, sort of the same kind of general meh-ishness in, in the attack that we've seen, uh, and I think LAFC, you know, assuming Carlos uh, Vela, Diego Rossi are in there, uh, I, I think they can just frankly score goals on the road. Uh, and so I, I don't think the Timbers are going to be able to keep it clean. I, so I think it'll be one-one. Christian Paredes going to get his first regular season goal uh, for the Timbers in the process, though. Uh, Thorns at Spirit. That one is Saturday at four o'clock. So you can definitely hit the double header uh, at Providence Park at noon, and then and then find your way uh, to the Go90 app. Uh, for uh, Thorns at Spirit. What do you think is going to happen in that one, Jamie?
1: I'm going to predict a 2-2 two, two draw. Um, the Thorns are going to get a point, but they aren't going to be able to break out of this winless streak. And I am going to predict a Ellie Carpenter assist.
0: An Ellie Carpenter assist in a 2-2 two, two draw is your call. I'm going to go ahead and say 1-1 one, one again. That's that's just my thing. I'm I'm, I'm rolling <laughs> snake eyes all week uh, one, one, uh, for the thorns. I, I agree. I just don't trust the back line to be able to keep it clean. Um, and, and you know, I mean, it, it's, it, it's going, as you said, going on the road in a tough trip. Uh, I could certainly see them coming away with more than one goal, but I'm not going to necessarily bet on that. Uh, so yeah, snake eyes is, is my call. Uh, I think Mallory Weber though is going to get the goal, uh, late in the game that she was denied, uh, last week. Okay. Time for the fantasy update um, where are we? Oh, I'm looking at the wrong league. I was, I, the, and the way I knew that is I was in like 200 and something place. And I was like, no, uh, not in my soccer mid Portland league. Um, that was ridiculous. Okay. The top three, uh, FC Peerloin, that is Kaplan, uh, with 1,076 points in third, uh, Racing Club day cut off, uh, Bomberger, uh, with 1,086 points. And then Beer City FC is still in the top spot, although tightening up just a little bit uh, with 1,128. I'm in 35th with 867. Uh, Jamie Goldberg, you are in last with zero because you did not play. Um, thank you all for tuning in this week. As you know, we are Soccer Man in Portland. You can find us every week, uh, on OregonLive.com on Stumptown Footy. You can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. That's Jamie Goldberg. I'm Chris Reifer. Thank you all for your questions. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy. The Timbers versus LAFC and the Thorns at the Spirit will be back next week to talk about all of that and more. Until then, as always, take care.